Open up the Word of God, if you would please, to Mark. Return to Mark. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus that is, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. The mighty God we heard in the first hour. Lord, I thank You for that message. Oh, Lord, preserve us from empty religion. Preserve us from just mere formalism. Deadness, Lord. Being content with just checking in and checking out when filling boxes and ritual and tradition. and Father, what we need is You and Your presence. And we just heard You are the God of the miraculous. And I pray that You would do a miracle in our midst today in bringing some from darkness to light and even transforming our hearts, Lord, and or perhaps just like we heard in the first hour, the getting off track. Oh, we have such a tendency in that. Lord, help us to get right back on track, on, on the right page, on the page, on Your page, Lord. To be at one with You. To be all about what You would have us to be about. Lord, I pray You'd help us in this hour we, we read. Lord, You are the God. You are the God who speaks. You do not keep silent. And so, Lord, I pray You'd speak this hour into the hearts of Your people and the hearts of those that know You not. For Jesus' sake, by the power of Your Spirit and in His name, I ask this. Amen. And so, just very briefly, I mean, we started this series in Mark, the first verse there. Mark comes out declaring the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then he introduces John Baptist in his preparatory ministry. of It was a baptism of repentance. And then he introduces in verse 9 Jesus to us as he submits himself to John's baptism. And followed by that, he takes us, he takes us with Jesus into this wilderness of temptation to go toe-to-toe with the devil. And then we spent the last three messages talking about Mark's summary of Jesus' ministry and message, preaching the good news of the arrival of His kingdom and the requirement for entrance into that kingdom. Repentance and faith. And I trust you remember how I drew our attention to the fact that Mark makes an approximate one-year leap in the timeline of Jesus' ministry from verse 13 to 14. In fact, all the synoptic Gospel writers do this. John's the only one who includes the details of Jesus' first year of ministry. 
which was largely isolated from the public. We do have that one occasion where he's in the temple. At any rate, John captures the disciples' first encounter with Jesus. Which, when they were with John the Baptist, John points out to them, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Go follow Him. So they go and they talk to Him. and So they meet Jesus. And some attribute that time to be the time of their conversion or the time of their regeneration, if you will. And that's, that is somewhat debatable because Scripture, uh, outside, of, outside of the Apostle Paul, the Bible says really nothing about the regenerate state of the other apostles other than affirming it in certain, certain passages. So we really don't know if they were already, already regenerate believers prior to encountering Jesus the first time. Perhaps they were. Perhaps some were and some weren't. Uh, scripture is, like I said, silent on the matter. But we knew, do know this. In these verses we just read, this encounter with Jesus marks the second time they had, they had met Jesus approximately a year later. And Jesus commands them here to follow Him. So perhaps John captures their conversion and Mark here is now capturing their calling. At any rate, after summarizing Jesus' ministry in verses 14 and 15, Mark now zeroes in on Jesus assembling His ministry team. Through Holy Spirit guidance, Mark wants us to know, brethren, how and where Jesus handpicks His own apostles. He wants us to know something about the setting and the background behind these guys. And it becomes abundantly apparent, at least with these first four men, who, who would end up actually end up composing the inner circle of Jesus' ministry team. These men. They were all fishermen. As the end of verse 16 tells us, for they were fishermen. And what do fishermen do? They fish, right? These men were all about catching fish. And they were doing so not just as a a hobby or they they did it for leisure. These men were doing it for a living. They were doing it to put food on the table. They they did this to support their families. They were out there every day in in the waking hours fishing. It was an industry. These men were very much a part of it. That's the context into which Jesus makes this very well-known statement, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This call, if you will, is it's in its immediate context had really a narrow, limited focus. Jesus was not calling everybody to do this. These specific men He handpicks. He's calling them to change jobs as it were. To no longer give their time and energy to capturing fish, but capturing men with the gospel, souls with the gospel. And I think that's I think it's important to acknowledge up, up front. Because if we try to take this text and make it apply to everyone in terms of it's a call for everyone to quit their jobs and go full time into ministry, I'm like, what does that leave us with? Well, first off, it leaves us with no one ever eating fish again, right? But but it also leaves us with this idea that Jesus discredits regular secular labor as something not important, insignificant, which by the way, He was very much engaged in prior to John's baptism. We end up with a skewed, and I've seen this with people, especially young believers, a skewed spiritual view of what it means to fulfill God's purposes in my life. 
and how the Lord expects me or us to shine as lights in, in the dark areas He has placed us in this world. Yet, even though this is a specific call here for these men to come in ministry and follow the Lord, surely the, the Lord saw this event as something important to capture and record for us. Using multiple Gospel writers that capture this. For application purposes that extend far beyond a very small group of men being called to ministry here. The Lord very much intends His people who are not in full-time ministry to be used in drawing sinners to Himself. you believe that? I hope so. That's why we're all here. Every one of us. As we consider the life and ministry of Jesus, and we can we consider the mission and the priority of that early church found there in the book of Acts, clearly this divinely inspired paragraph before us intends to press the church with her primary mission. The capturing of the souls of men for the glory of Jesus Christ. I submit to you, that is the overall intended purpose of this paragraph. The call to follow Jesus and capturing souls for His glory. There's an application here that extends to us all, especially to us as a church. But the first thing I, first thing I want us to notice here is, as it relates to ministry is, is Jesus doesn't follow the standard protocol for, for gathering and assembling a ministry team. He doesn't. In that day, if you're looking to assemble a ministry team made up of those who possess knowledge of the Scriptures, men who are full of wisdom and understanding, men who know God and know God's Word, you're looking no further than the rabbinic schools. You're looking no further than the local synagogues. Maybe you even might take it upon yourself to go down to Jerusalem and inquire about those wise old sages in the Sanhedrin. Something, something equivalent to a modern-day seminary. You're certainly not looking for such men on a seashore, right? But that's precisely what Jesus does. He goes right to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, not because He couldn't find anybody in these other places. These men were His first choice. This is a very unprecedented move that Jesus makes here. As we've already seen, I've already discussed, this is not his first encounter with them. He, he knows what these guys are all about. And the first time he encountered them. So he circles back now to them and calls them to travel with him. Be part of his team. Jesus is going to build his spiritual ministry base with fishermen. I know that's a familiar idea, but think about that, brethren. Fishermen. The God of glory coming down and making fishermen a part of His spiritual team. He didn't go to the seminary. He went to the seashore. You see, fishermen were not typically educated men. Not, certainly not the type of men you'd turn to for theological questions. But these are the men the Son of God chooses. We do not want to overlook that. And yet, 2,000 years later, 
We tend to do just that. Brothers, those of you preaching and wanting to grow in such, I'm telling you, be very careful. Be very careful about what you think you need to have or be in order to be in order to to do to, to carry out a service of preaching before God that he that is useful. That is useful and glorifies Jesus Christ. Because you can easily go down this path that ends up having you lean upon the methodologies and wisdom of men and the requirements of men and not the Holy Spirit. Your message doesn't need to be polished. It doesn't need to impress people. It needs to be faithful to God's Word and owned by the Holy Spirit. That's it. It doesn't need to tickle the ears of men, impress men. It needs to please the living God. Fishermen. I I want you to think about that. When you're preparing a message, I want you to think about fishermen. God used fishermen. And... He used them to turn the world upside down. And I guarantee you they did it without using alliteration, three-point messages, any training in expositional preaching. Somehow, they turned the world upside down without that. But, But getting back to the text. Notice how Jesus utilizes their profession. The profession of these men. Something something they were very, very familiar with. He he takes that and creates this spiritual illustration in calling them into ministry. Verse 16, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And and then he, he just strolls right up to them. There they are. They're casting the net in the sea. Jesus kind of strolls right up to them in verse 17 and says, Follow me. You follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now yes, we're very familiar with this saying. We've heard it often and read it often. But this is being delivered to the very first time to their ears. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Wait, wait, fishers of men? Man, that's, that's just odd language. I mean, they're connecting the dots. Okay, we got, we got nets, we got people, we got, we got catching men. What? However they perceived it, it didn't take them long to understand enough to be convinced that whatever Jesus was asking them to do, it was more important and more valuable than what they were currently doing. And what they were currently doing was making a living for their family, supporting their family, which is very important. But they were connecting the dots, realizing what Jesus is asking us to do is far more important. Because verse 18 tells us, they immediately left their nets and followed Him. And so I've entitled this message, The Call to Follow Jesus. We are going to use it with three headings. (laughs) And those headings are going to be the urgency of the call, the certainty of the call, and the cost of the call. And so first off, the urgency of the call. Mark uses the word immediately twice in this context. One time it's descriptive of the response of these men. And then the other time it's descriptive of Jesus' call upon them. And immediately here is not just some some Markian go-to 
adjective, as we've talked about, he likes to use that word a lot. Matthew also uses this exact same word, but he, he, actually it's an adverb, form of an adverb, but it's the same word. So, so the Holy Spirit is underscoring the immediacy, the, the urgency of, of responding to Jesus here. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 4, 20, you don't have to turn it. He, he, says, the, he says the exact same thing that Mark does here in verse 18. Immediately, they left their nets and followed Him. And of John and James, he says in, in Matthew 4, 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Him. There was no procrastinating going on here. No lallygagging. No, no kind of, there were no angels prodding them. Hurry up, get going, follow Jesus. That like, 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 like the case of Lot when he lingered there in Sodom, right? No, Jesus called and their immediate response was drop the nets. And brethren, dropping the nets and following Jesus is a very rich word picture of what Mark was just talking about. Repentance and faith, right? Even though it seems like these men may have already been believers, Mark is expressing these details here in the wake of verse 15 to provide a word picture of repentance and faith. Mark is showing us that repentance leaves the nets and faith follows Jesus. As mentioned, this, this is their livelihood fishing. This is all they knew. And this is what their families depend on. There was no backup plan here. This is, this is it. Their lives were fully invested in, the, in this fishing business. And just make no mistake about it, it required a divine work of repentance and faith to walk away from that very secure, familiar living and start following a man they knew very little about. That takes a work of, of a miracle we just talked about. Jesus was calling these men to put all their, all their eggs, if you will, in His basket. And, and not later, now. Now. Follow me now. The call to follow Jesus is a matter that requires an immediate, urgent response. Look again at verse 20. And immediately, He called them. So, so not only is the response immediate, but the, the command to follow is immediate. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He demands our allegiance and He demands it now. Not next month, not next week, not tomorrow, now. This is a call that demands a response. It's a call that says, enough of the nets of your own making. Enough of them. Enough of laboring for that which perishes. Enough. Drop your nets and come follow me. And they did just that. They obeyed Him. What about you? You've heard Jesus call to come, to follow, to trust Him. And some of you have heard it far more times than the people we read about in this book. And yet you refuse to come. You refuse to follow Him. You don't want this man ruling over your life. 
You, you, you don't want to give him his rightful place. You'd rather follow a path of your own making that you've convinced yourself is, is somehow better and yet it ends with you perishing. That's the craziness of sin. You see, the Bible, that's why the Bible stresses today. Today, not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you harden not your heart, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart, rather. Respond. God wants a response. Don't let your heart deceive you. Don't let it harden. God's speaking. Don't resist this great God of love and mercy because He can be resisted. Your hearts can resist Him. And many do. Do you hear Him? He, he's calling you. Why, why are you sitting there right now thinking and pretending He's not? I and mean, it's as clear as the, as the ink on this page. Follow Me, it says. You can see it just as I can. Follow Me. There's no middle ground here. You're either going to do so or you're not. You're either going to drop your nets, as it were, and follow Him, or you're going to keep holding on and presuming you have another day. I'll take it up another time. You know, fool, Fooling yourself, it's going to be okay. These people are just radical and a bit zealous. A lot of people sit there and think they just have time as their friend. That's foolish. I'll take up Jesus later. I mean, I got too much to do right now. I don't want him interfering with my life. He's going to spoil all the fun. I mean, I, I'll take up this following Jesus in another time. And you know what? It'll be a day you'll likely never see. Because those who wait for tomorrow, they end up not seeing tomorrow. Not that tomorrow anyway. Oh, you don't want to push off Jesus when, it come, when He comes calling. You just don't want to do it. Because put, by pushing Him off, you're rejecting the Christ. You're rejecting your own Savior. Your only hope. A delayed response is a response that marks you unworthy of the call. The call to follow Jesus. It is urgent. It really is urgent. Sin makes you think it's not urgent. When the eyes are peeled back, you see its urgency. You see the reality of this thing. I mean, Jesus is walking down. This was a big industry. There was a lot of people on that shoreline. It's a big lake. Big sea. I don't know why they call it a sea. It's a lake. But anyway, Jesus is walking along and there's countless men with boats, countless men on the shore doing the exact same thing as these four men. And only four of these men are privileged to receive the infight and the command of Jesus to follow Him. Do you realize... Right now, we sit in a world. The world population right now, I looked it up on the world population counter when I was preparing for this message. 8.1 billion people. Have you ever, ever looked at one of those counters on the, on the, on the web, on website? The numbers just like... It's like, wait, wait, that can't, that can't be that many people happen. I mean, the advancement of the population, brethren, is incredible. I remember preaching messages... When we were pushing 7 billion, 
Now we're at 8.1 billion. You want to teach your children about something about exponential growth? Take them to the internet. Pull up an exponential growth chart of the population of the world. And what you're going to see is a line like this. Whoosh, the slope just takes off. And you know where the slope starts taking off? I mean, make it about 1,000, 2,000 years. You know when the slope starts taking off and it's really steep, really fast? About 100 years ago. You realize in 1923, the world population was about 2 billion people. It's quadrupled in 100 years. And my point here is to highlight just how privileged we are. You are, lost person, who sits here under the sound of the Gospel regularly, weekly, some of you, and yet remain aloof and indifferent to its message. To the precious call of Jesus to come follow Me and find Me to be your all in all. And I'll take all your sin. And I'll, take, and I'll give you the gift of eternal life. I'll give you My Spirit. And it's almost like you treat it like it's just some other option in the grocery store. I mean, these are, we're living in some very uncertain times. I mean, the call to follow Christ couldn't be more serious. It couldn't be more urgent. I urge you, stop playing around with your broken nets, drop them, and follow the Savior. You see, one of the great manifestations, if not the greatest manifestation of our sinfully depraved, hardened, rebellious hearts, it's put on display when Jesus says, come follow Me. And our response is, we have the audacity to say no. I mean, when you, when you pan this thing out, you scan back and you realize He's the Creator and we're this puny little creature. Puny little creature that's 100% dependent upon Him. It, brethren, it, it's a marvel that, that there even remains a life after such a rejection. I could go on, but secondly, the call is not only urgent, it's certain. There's a lot of ways I could go with this, but what I mean by that, it's a call to follow something that has a certain goal. And it's a goal that doesn't pertain to this life, but the next. It's not follow me and I'll make this life better. It's not follow me and I'll fill your bank account or I'll grant you health and wealth and follow me and you'll have your best life now. It's a bunch of garbage. It's a lie right out of hell. Jesus does not present Himself as an incarnate vending machine. You know, just push the buttons and I'll give you exactly what you want. Full of earthly snacks to satisfy your flesh. He came here to deliver us from this perishing world and everything that's in it. He came to deliver us from self and self-will. Which, which, if you're honest as a Christian, he's, he's, still, he's still working there, right? That's a daily battle. That must be crucified. That God's purpose in causing you to follow Jesus is to have you no longer preoccupied with self, but preoccupied with others. Of saving others. 
His goal is not for you to secure as many temporal things as you possibly can here. That's, that's not it. The gospel produces a, a, a certain kind of, of thinking, a thinking outside of yourself, a dwelling upon eternal matters and a turn, turning away from the temporal matters. It makes you a soul pursuer. That's the certainty of this call. And Jesus meets them right where they're at in their, in their daily lives. Comes right into the seashore. Boys, let me tell you, here's what we're doing now. You're no longer tossing nets for fish. Now you're going to be tossing truth for souls. I, I do want you to think about your career, your fishing career, and the daily efforts and the expertise that you've, that you've used to catch fish. I want you to apply that, and I want you to apply that spiritually. Meaning, take whatever time and whatever effort you use that was required in catching fish. I want you to take that and I want you to translate that into catching men. Same effort, same earnestness, same determination. You see, in that day, fishing basically consisted, you didn't have a pole like you know, we do. Fishing in that day was consisted of this circular, kind of maybe oblong net. And around the edges of it had these weights, different kinds of weights. Metal, I don't know what it was, bags of sand, and but different weights. And they would toss that out in what they hoped to be the school of fish. Maybe they're fishing in shallow waters, you could see it. You got over the school of fish. If they're in shallow waters, they would die, and this thing would hit, hit the water and quickly sink to the bottom. They'd, they'd dive down, grab, grab, and you get the fish that were in it. Deeper waters, they had a rope attached to it. They would pull it, it would draw it tight, and whatever was in there, you got. That's how they would catch the fish. Now, yes, the illustration is limited. We don't want to think of evangelism and bringing people to Christ as you know, doing so against their will. We're not in the business of capturing people or, or forcing conversions and taking people captive and trying to get them into our gospel net when they really don't want to be in their gospel net. We certainly don't want to be those who use all manner of manipulative methods just to get folks to make professions of faith, which sadly happens. You know, get the profession. Get, get, get the raised hand. Get the, you know, stoke. The, come on, Jenny, play the piano. Why, why say some nice little things and get people all emotionally moved and that's not, I mean, that happens, sadly. We got the numbers. We brought 20 to Christ. I've seen that. I've sat in it. Get the baptism. Get the member. Anything folks will do to, to, to say, we, we, got this, we made this one a believer in Christ. And yet, they're no more a Christian than you and I are descendants of apes. Yet, the deception is the same. People thoroughly convinced of something that is just simply not true. We must be convinced, brethren, from Scripture that the Spirit does the calling, the Spirit does the saving, but we are the means. We're simply the means. And, and that's important, but that's what we are, means. We don't have to get crafty and manipulative. We, we, we don't have to switch from real, the real live bait to, to something artificial to, get the, to attract men. We have one bait. It's right here. The Word of God. This is the bait. Which is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And it's going to go, it goes deep. It pierces down through the soul and spirit of an individual and to the bones and marrow and, and, and exposes. It informs and it exposes thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's our bait. That's our bait. That's our weapon. That's our trust. No gimmicks of the flesh. All that does is produce super, superficial results. But we are the means. God intends to use us as instruments through which the Holy Spirit does His piercing and convicting and informing and exposing. And just like a good fisherman, right? You, you've seen these guys. I mean, guys that are really into fishing, you know, they sometimes they wear these hats. they got lures in them. I mean, they're, they're just all in, man. They're in this thing. All, they're thinking about, I mean, my dad. My dad's an accomplished fisherman. When, when, when it's not fishing season in Michigan, which is probably eight months out of the year, you, I mean, he's in the basement tying flies. Hours upon hours upon hours with a microscope tying all these people are into it why to catch a fish you know what the lord wants you into how can we catch a man how can we catch this woman how can i catch my neighbor how can i catch my coworker? how can how can i to give thought to it to contemplate the same kind of earnestness that the fisherman you, you, you got the image in your mind the guy who's just sold out he's given to fishing that's his, that's what that's his thing that's what he does Oh, we should reek as God's fishermen. We're the means, brethren. And the means is this. Sharing God's Word. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Doing good works. These are the necessary means that God uses and purposes to use in catching men into His Gospel, His kingdom net. And this is what Jesus says He would make us. It's a call to follow Jesus. We, we want to be sure as Christians, right, that we're, we're living our lives honoring this call. Actually following Jesus, what He's instructed us to do to catch men. And, and you know what? If you're a Christian, if you've been caught in this gospel net, what does the Bible tell us? It tells us you're no longer your own. The truth is you're, we were never our own. But if we've identified with Jesus Christ, we are, we are stating to the world that we are His. We're done with us. We're His. We're His people. And we're all, all about doing His will and not our own will. And his, it is His will for His people to catch men. To fish for men. In the sphere of life, He places them. And yes, not everyone's an evangelist. It's, I get that. That's true. Or has the gift of evangelism. A gift that would, it would take them into the public square and start sharing the Gospel with perfect strangers. I understand. And not everyone's called to do that. Not everyone's equipped to do that. But listen, everyone is an evangelist within the sphere in which God places them and the gifts that God has given them. You must see that. And Christian... Listen, don't discount. Don't discount what God has given you and how God has wired you specifically. Your uniqueness is not without purpose. Your uniqueness is by divine design for specific individuals that God specifically is going to place in the path of your life 
that you might be the instrument to draw them in. And, and no one else will. Know this, brethren. The, the Lord is determined to use your skill set, for lack of a better term, what makes you up, who you are. He's determined to use that, whatever it is. In whatever way you might deem yourself deficient or insufficient, or, or He's going to take that and He's going to use it for His glory. If, if your heart and disposition is, Lord, use me. Lord, I, I want to cast my net. He isn't waiting for you to have the perfect net. Waiting to have the perfect abilities. He's just looking for you to be fishing. To be fishing. Brother, sister, don't, don't, please don't sit there thinking, well, I, you know, I can't, I, I got nothing to offer because I don't have this and I don't have that or I'm not that. And I mean, Moses thought that, right? Lord, I, I can't. I can't speak. I need... You know, he's my brother. I... See, the last thing the Lord needs is for you to start feeling sufficient for the task. You want a sure way to not be usable? Start thinking you're sufficient. But wait until you feel sufficient. You see, God delights. He takes great delight in picking up vessels that are full of insufficiency and full of feeling their own weaknesses and he, he, he uses them to demonstrate His power. See, that's the platform for a demonstration of His power and glory. Not your own sufficiency. But be convinced, brethren, this is the certain call. You have been called by God to take the Gospel to the world around you. But thirdly, this call to follow Jesus is a call that leads to a cost. Following Jesus will cost you something. For these men, it, it, it cost their secure jobs. It cost them that which was really just very familiar to them, very comfortable to them. And we like that, don't we? It's nice thinking Monday morning, you, you know where you're going. You know the job. You get there, you know what, you know what the expectation is. You're, you're not stressed out about it. They were comfortable. But this thing cost them all their comforts, all the things they were accustomed to, all the things they were used to. Their nets, their boat, their family. I mean, they had to leave those trusty nets that had captured so much revenue for them over the years. Jesus said, no more. No more. Now you're going to trust Me for your sustenance. It cost them their boat, which no doubt they spent a fair amount of fish securing whether they built it themselves or they bought it. Jesus said, leave it. I'm the ark. I'm the ark you're going to be floating with now. And it cost them their family. For James and John, it was Zebedee, their father. They left their father Zebedee in the boat. Verse 20 tells us. They left dad behind with the hired servants to take care of the fishing business. I'm sure they received some ridicule for that. They obeyed the call to follow Jesus. 
It, it costs them a lifelong dependency upon a fishing industry and a lifelong attachment to Zebedee, their father. And the entire family. Jesus was calling for a new dependency, a new identity. And it would cost a departure from all these other things that were very near and dear to them. Things they were accustomed to. Later on, Jesus would tell the excitement-seeking crowd that He tended to draw or drawn to His teaching. He tells them in Luke 14, and those of you, he, he point, He's pointing to all the crowd that comes, those of you that do not renounce all that you have, you cannot be My disciple. Oh. It's true. You don't forsake all that you have, you can't be. You're not in. And Jesus warns in Matthew 10 that following Him will create enemies within your own household. In fact, it'll be like a sword. A sword's going to come into your house. And it will set a son against the father. It will set a daughter against her mother. And so on. And that, and that opposition must be expected and it must be embraced as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. He's not worthy of me, he says. In fact, Jesus makes a very radical statement. If you don't hate father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, and yes, even your own life, you can't be. My disciple. That's a hard word. Now Jesus didn't really mean hating them. It's a it's a statement of contrast. It's a, a greater to a greater going from greater to lesser in terms of love. It speaks to the priority of one's allegiance. The reality of one's affections. In other words, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Jesus was very straightforward. Because that's to worship the creature more than the Creator. And God will have none of that. That's idolatry. So Jesus is calling. He's calling for His followers to cultivate a deeper affection and allegiance to Him. Deeper than that of any other human relationship or thing. More than mom, more than dad, more than husband or wife, more than brother or sister, or job, or hobby, or status, or reputation, or toy, you name it. Jesus will not compete for your affections. It's all in for Him or it's no part with Him. Including your very own life, He says. Whoever loves His life will lose it. But whoever loses, that's a, that's a term of cost there. Whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospel, that, that individual will find life. Jesus... Jesus wasn't holding back. 
He wanted people to know up front, this thing's going to cost you. He, he was never aiming at drawing large crowds by, by preaching messages that appeal to the masses. In fact, Jesus was very, he was very good at reducing a swelling crowd by just shooting straight to the heart of the half-hearted. Right? I mean, how many times he does that? Listen, this is no cakewalk following me. I mean, it's not going to be a stroll in the park. It is going to cost you something. I mean, Jesus was he was flat out seeking to make disciples, not impressions upon people. And in doing so, he, he wanted people to know up front, count the cost. This is the cost of following me. You see, Jesus didn't come so much just to make your life better as He did, as he did to employ you for His service. And I'm not undoing what I've already established. I mean, he, he was calling these men specifically into full-time ministry. That is unique to them and very few others. Nonetheless, He does employ His people, as it were, into this enterprise of saving souls. We're all called to this, brethren, to some form or fashion. And the success and faithfulness of such is not to be determined by numbers. We don't, we don't get away from that kind of mentality. It's determined by our faithfulness to follow the call of Jesus in our life as He leads us. For some, that, will, that, will be, that primary field will be your own home with your children. That's not insignificant. For others, it will be the workplace. Or maybe the workplace and home and, and the marketplace. As you're going about your day. You're, maybe your next door neighbor or, or, or extended relatives. Others will answer the call to engage in organized evangelistic endeavors. Others, it will be the foreign mission field. We, we all have our, our, our place to labor in this thing. And this, for this one grand end. The capturing of souls for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the cost of such, it, it's going to differ amongst God's people. It is. For some, it will cost family relationships. For some of you, that's true here. You know exactly what I'm talking about. For others, it will cost friendships. It may cost you ridicule and fierce persecution. It may cost your job. It may impact you financially. Jesus tells us that. It may cost you socially. It may cost your marriage. Your children. Are you still going to follow Him? Is, is He still worth it? Let me ask you, what does the Gospel cost you? Has it cost you anything? If it hasn't yet, I can promise you it will. If you're true, if you're a Christian. It cost Hans Schmidt of Phoenix, Arizona a bullet to the head a week and a half ago may very well cost him his life here on earth. Is he still fighting for it in the hospital as I speak? But I know this. <laughs> I know this. He won't be sorry if he ends up in the arms of Jesus. 
Not at all. He will be rejoicing with a joy that cannot be duplicated on this earth. At all. The cost then? It will seem like no such thing to Him. Because He will be so overwhelmed in the presence of His Savior, He won't be able to contain Himself. You see, because Jesus is the prize. He is the treasure. There's nothing else here on earth more valuable, more wonderful, more glorious, more magnificent. And glory will only underscore that all the more. There'll be no sin to have to filter out. But the way is hard. And the path is narrow. Jesus does liken Himself to a gate, a narrow gate. You enter through that gate, you enter into eternal life. What? That's incredible. But you seek to take any other way with that gate, then you enter into a portal that will take you straight to hell. Jesus wants you to know that. There's only one way. He's it. And you know what? You take that other portal, there's nothing valuable there. There is nothing wonderful. There's nothing magnificent. There's nothing. Nothing good at all. It's only just misery and regret and unceasing sorrow. Well, in closing, you know what, brethren? As much as this is a command, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, is it not also a promise? Isn't this a promise? Isn't Jesus here promising us to make us fishers of men? I think we should remind Jesus of that. Right? That's how my brain thinks anyway. I mean, Jesus has fish to catch, right? That's why we're still here. Fishing was all done. He'd come back and it's over. But there's still fish to catch. There is. And like I said, we are the means. And just like it's, it's fully expected that a fisherman, you know, the fisherman goes out and he comes home, he's going to have fish with him, right? I mean, there might be a couple times he comes, you know, I mean, we find that in the Gospels, right? Oh, we fished all night, we didn't catch anything. But someone that gives themselves frequently to the task of fishing ends up with what? Fish. They do. I think that's the expectation we should have here. I think that's what Jesus would have us expect as we labor here. You step out and fish, you're going to get fish. We have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ, Scripture says. And made so by Him, not us. As we follow Him, He is the one who makes others follow, not us. We just need to be faithful to target people, right? We need to be faithful to cast our gospel net. Now, yes, we can sit here and we can bemoan the fact that you know, we haven't seen converts in this ministry or that ministry or you know, this effort or that effort. And, uh, but you know what? Just because there's a dearth in the land, that, that, that doesn't mean that there isn't showers of blessing on the horizon coming our way. Oh, God, give us fate for such. The truth is there is a dearth in the land. We are in the midst of a spiritual famine in this world. 
And countless people are perishing of starvation throughout this world. And yet here we are, brother. Here we are, blessed with all this milk and honey. With all this fat and the fruit of the vine. I mean, God has greatly blessed us. But you see, He didn't intend it just to be for us alone. He intends that we should take such blessings and feed those who are starving. Not just sit back and get fat with it. Do you remember during the days of Elisha? There was a great famine in the land. I think someone referenced this recently. It was so bad. I mean, it was so bad women were eating their children. That's atrocious. It was grieving. And the starvation was just horrible. Widespread. And so in Second Kings 7, we're told there were four lepers. And they were, they were determined. You know, I mean, they, they realized, we're just going to die here. We might as well just, let's go over to the Syrians. I mean, they're the enemy, but if we go over there and they kill us, we're going to die here anyway, so let's just go. They might have mercy on us and you know, feed us. So they head out over there and they get to the scene, they get get to the camp and no one's there. They were out there in the camp, they were expecting some battle to take place. There was no one there. And there was no one there because God caused the Syrians to hear chariots and 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 and, and uh, horse horses coming. Chariots and horsemen, the sound of it coming, so they they panicked and said, Oh, the, the enemies are coming. They flee the scene and they leave all their stuff behind. Not a soul was there, but all their tents and horses and donkeys and food and everything. And so these lepers fall upon this. These four lepers, they're having a heyday. They're going from tent to tent, grabbing the food and taking these items and, and hiding them and burying them and um, just cleaning all these things, cleaning house. And then it struck, struck them. He said, wait a minute. This is not right what we're doing. I mean, we need to go tell the Israelite brethren all about this. There's, there's enough food here to save many lives. And that's exactly what happened. He went back and told the king and they came and they took the spoils. Brethren, that historical account was recorded to set forth a spiritual picture for us today. The church. Brethren, we are the saved lepers. We're the lepers. And we have stumbled upon great fortune that God has blessed us with. The Gospel. And God didn't give it to us just so we could keep it to ourselves and pontificate and debate other Christians like we heard in the first hour. He, he gave it to us to distribute. To share. He's expecting us to distribute the goods and share what, we, what has been given so that we might be the means of saving some. I hope that grips you. I hope it grips you afresh. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Father, thank You. The lepers that we, are, that we were, that You had pity upon us. And Lord, we want to be just like those four men there. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to just consume upon ourselves all the great blessings of God and forget about a perishing world full of starvation. 
Lord, please, we don't want Psalm, we don't want to be like the description of Psalm 50. Lord, we want to be faithful servants. We want to, Lord, give us a heart for the lost. Lord, use us. Lord, please don't let these days pass and we waste them. Lord, help, 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 Lord. Call upon me. That's what the verse says. Lord, we don't want to be guilty of not doing that. Lord, deliver us from wasted lives. Lord, deliver us. Use us, Lord. Here we are. We are what we are. Lord, we're nothing greater than fishermen even. Lord, we want to be used of You, Lord. Help us. Help us cast the nets faithfully. Lord, visit us with power. We want to see sinners converted and brought to Jesus Christ. Lord, work in our lives. Work in this church. Help us, Father, we pray. Lord, save those sitting under... Lord, what a, what a thing. What a terrifying thought to sit under the Gospel for, for months, for years, and it just be a means of greater condemnation. Lord, would You please allow this, this invitation and command of Jesus to resonate with a heart here today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.